one day, maybe about four years ago, I woke up one morning and realized that I had this radiant friend that lived inside of me. I may cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm all right with that. Okay. I'm very comfortable. Okay, sorry. good. Okay, it'll happen. I should have brought Kleenex. Um, who I had been shoving down for most of my life, trying to make her be quiet, trying to just, I didn't understand what she wanted to say. I just, and I, in just in not even a special moment, it was just, I had just dropped the kids off from school and it was a rainy day and I just came home and I felt her, I, I felt her and I, it, it, something in me broke open and I just realized that I had to dedicate my life to her and letting her out. I am so lucky to be sitting here today with Amanda Evanston. Amanda is a lifelong artist with some pretty interesting claims to fame. She once brought fettuccine to Oprah and the Spice Girls. She's been a cleaning lady, a commodities broker. She was a taxidermy assistant. And at one point, she was a presidential campaign intern. Although sadly, because of the non-disclosure she signed, she can't tell us any of the stories. But apparently there are stories. She has a fine art degree from the Art Institute of Chicago. She's old, sold over 2,000 original works of art. And over the years, she shared her craft in little clips and snips on social media. And in the last 15 months, Amanda launched Insider Studio, a truly incredible online art class membership site with weekly classes inspired by Monet, cows, and mostly, I think, flowers. Amanda's beautiful eye for color and form her flowing generosity, irreverent wit and warmth make her an approachable and easy-to-adore teacher and guide, and her sharp yet deeply compassionate wisdom and insight are infused in each class. So it's not surprising, but it is impressive, that an incredibly engaged community has sprouted up around Amanda and her insider studio, which we'll talk more about in a bit. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Thank for, you. Yeah. Man, I need to hire you as my hype man. That's <laughs> quite the intro. Oh, but that's just what happens when you tell the truth. Oh, well, you're very kind. Thank well, you for the warm, very, so. very warm, jacuzzi warm welcome there. Well, you're I so, you're so welcome. I really, I admire you so much. And I'm just so grateful to have the chance to, to chat with you today. Oh, I'm, I'm excited for this podcast and where you're, you're taking it. And, and yeah, what, the places you will go. The places I'm just we will excited yeah. to be a, a a part of the journey. Well, I'm glad you're here too. And yeah, we were just talking a little bit before the show about why I created Creative Genius, the podcast, and it's it's because I guess over the years as an artist, I've heard way too many people say things like, "Oh, I'm just not a creative person," or I "Wish I could be a creative person." And there's always this soft little sadness in that statement every single time I hear it. I don't even think the person who's saying it realizes that that it's there. No. no. Um, so I'm on a little bit of a mission now to help people understand and to see that actually every single one of us has the capacity and I would even argue the responsibility to be creative. So I like that. Yeah. yeah I feel like it's we we're given these they're gifts that they're that are given to us. And you know the what one of the main premises of gifting is you don't hold on to it. I mean in my in my worldview about gifts. So that's kind of my intention with with the podcast and why I'm wonderful. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you because I just feel like you're such an amazing role model that obviously people respond to. You know, you've just you've got a, a beautiful spirit and it just it you radiate and <laughs> and I feel like you have a lot to teach people and help that healing process 
for the, for the, yeah. Oh, well, I, I'm flattered um, <laughs> that you would include me in that. Um, I think a lot of people can help each other, but I think what people, um, particularly women, I would say adult women, I don't want to put a number on it, but it seems like it's a very hard thing. I very rarely see it under 40. Mm-hmm. But it's, women get to a certain point and it's like, they don't realize they've essentially spent the first decades of their life, like you said, shoving down their best self yeah, or rearranging themselves to accommodate something that really never accommodated them. Mm-hmm. Or frankly, really wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't worth the time or the drama or the tears, or the money or whatever else. And it's like suddenly it takes a drive in the rain or light goes off or there's a pandemic or whatever it is. Shake the tree. That's the metaphor I overuse. It shakes the tree. And you're like, (laughs) yeah. Oh, wait, I have other things. I have other things inside of me. They're not, they're being an artist. Isn't like some Timbuktu mythical thing that is impossible. It's literally, it's a trip to the art store maybe, or maybe you already have some supplies at home and you just give yourself permission for an hour to do the thing. Yeah. And there it is. It's yeah. a choice. It's it not, it's, um, you know, it, it can be a, a, a journey or a career or whatever it else, but it really is. Um, it's a choice that you make. You sit down and you say, okay, I make art. Therefore I'm an artist. And there you are. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah. It doesn't. It's very uncomplicated. And what people need is to hear other people saying that because nobody's saying that. Yeah. Everybody's contributing to this narrative. You have to go to a, a performing arts high school or some sort of, you know, pedigree program or whatever else. Anybody who contributes to the conversation that says no more gatekeepers, no more permission seeking, no more seeking validation from somebody else who doesn't deserve that kind of pedestal in the first place. It took me, yeah, it took me years of being a professional artist, having sold hundreds of thousands of dollars of my work in a market here in Vancouver before I would call myself an artist without feeling like I was lying. And why is that? Because I didn't, because I didn't have letters after my name or I didn't finish what, you know, all of what you're just saying. I mean, that's not there for me anymore at all, like at all. I fully own it. But, but yeah, that's kind of the, the, the intention for creative genius is to help have that conversation because there has been that crunch of the rising like there's this the pandemic has squished us in a way that we do have to face a lot of stuff that we maybe could have avoided yeah a lot of people yeah it's a lot of people i i've never known a year where so many people divorces moving cross country changing um you know faith religious dynamics of people changing the way they eat changing the way that they live changing jobs I know more people who have shifted jobs than have stayed where they are. I've, I've used the metaphor before, and this, you know, depends on what, um, you know, faith discipline you come from. But, you know, I consider myself a person of faith. And if, um, if you've ever, have you ever given somebody a gift, like you've given whatever it was, it was a thing in a box or it was a candle or a coat and you gave it to somebody, you give it to them and they didn't do something good with it. Like they just didn't appreciate it. Like they just, they didn't, they were, yep. I mean, spirited about it. They just didn't know what to do with that gift. Well, what happens? You don't give them more gifts. Or if you do, they're not special. You right. don't spend a lot of time and effort on it. And I feel uh, very, very strongly that um, art was a, a gift that was given to me. And the greatest compliment to my creator is to use it. Mm-hmm. And it's also a very worthy investment of my time because in utilizing that gift, 
I've been shown time and time again that I'm given more because I take advantage of, of what is before me. Um, I feel like I've been given so, so much and I have a responsibility to use it. Um, but if I, you know, if I was God and I gave somebody something and they put it in a box under the bed, yeah, no, that's not. <laughs> it, and it, it drives me uh, up the wall because like you, I've had so many conversations with people, women in particular, uh, who tell, and they say, they're very comfortable admitting, oh, all these years I really wanted to sing or I studied this mm-hmm. in college and I never did anything with it. And it's almost like they brag about it, like it's some sort of, it feeds this martyr complex. Mm, yeah. Sort of like, yeah. Uh, I have this thing, but you know, there was always something else. There was always something else that took priority and it's okay. I don't need to pursue this. I don't need to pursue this. It's like, all right, you, you're walking wasted potential. Yeah. And, that, and that, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But yeah. hun, don't brag about it to me like I'm going to agree with you that it's okay. No, it's, it's not a badge of honor. Oh, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's not. I would love to see that that kind of smash through because that is it's everywhere, and it yeah, it, it makes it almost difficult to you know do this work of claiming yourself as an artist and wanting to because you've got I find that it's almost like I'm fighting against this current of well, don't talk about yourself and don't be yeah. don't be proud of yourself and don't be uh, you know I used to be in a relationship with somebody who whose parents when when they were small didn't allow them to look in the mirror because they thought it was too prideful and I just think like I you know I want to teach my children to look in the mirror and say like wow you're yeah. magnificent you know yeah. <laughs> like uh, and what a strange time that is for those I, I'm familiar with that I, I I not to that degree but I am familiar with that concept and I now I think it's such a strange time because I I was raised not that disciplined, but yet to not be prideful about things. And now, um, you know, it's, it, we're inundated with social media. It's, it's selfies are, are not only good, they're celebrated and you should be comfortable. And what do you mean to not be comfortable with that? And why are we going on? And do you really need to put on makeup before you take your picture, before you share this thing before it's like, we're just inundated with this sort of, um, Mixed messaging. It's yeah. a confusing time. It and, is. And, it is. And and there's a, there's a pendulum thing probably too, right? Where it's like we were not allowed to be prideful, and now maybe we're just kind of going a little bit too crazy with all the. But there is somewhere in the middle where you're allowed to say, "I have this amazing thing inside of me, and I'm going to shepherd it, and I'm going to let it grow, and I'm going to be it." You know. I agree, and I think um, for me. I went many years. I never, I never wanted to show my face. I was very uncomfortable showing work. I never wanted things in conjunction. I think when I recognize um, when I make art, it is it. I, I say um, I can feel my cells shift, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing. But people know what I'm talking about when I say it. Um, there's something when you, for me, when I make art, I feel like it comes from my best and truest self. Mm-hmm. It is the best and highest use of my time and my hands and my materials and frankly, my money to buy the materials and all the rest of it. I think if something, if you recognize that something comes from your truest self, why wouldn't you want to share that oh, with the world? Yeah. What, and then you also have to use the sort of, um, you know, the basic exercise of do on to others. You know, I, I look, when was the last time I whatever was on social media or in person, what have you, and I resented somebody for sharing something from their highest and truest self. Never. Yeah. Never have I ever resented somebody for for exercising and sharing something they truly love. 
if I did that, if I resented somebody or said something negative or poo pooed somebody for doing that, that would say a lot more about me than it does about them. Absolutely. You know, I don't, I'm not, I think the more we can um, contribute to the, this idea of like, just, we like to say, don't care about what other people think. We're all going to care about what other people yeah. think, but you can be choosy about the people. Why do you need everybody's seal of approval? It's literally not a possibility. It's not. And I, so, I didn't realize that till I was, you know, maybe in my 30s, did it dawn on me that I was like, oh, even if I could please this set of people that I've chosen, there's, there's just, it's always going to be growing and moving and shifting. And that's not, so why would I bother? It's just, a, it's like a fool's errand. Like you just can never, you can never get there. You can never reach it. Um, somebody a long time ago told me that, uh, do you guys have 31 flavors in Canada? No, that, but it sounds okay. delicious. Is it ice cream? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's called Baskin Robbins. I oh, don't know yes. when they officially switched the name, but we, it, we did at one point have Baskin Robbins. Well, and now Baskin Robbins here are all combined with Dunkin' Donuts and they smell too bad to even want the ice cream. But in, regardless, the, the concept when I was, I don't know, 80s, 90s, I was young, um, 31 Flavors was an ice cream shop and they had 31 buckets. Supposedly, half of all scoops sold were vanilla. Because oh. there's just a market for vanilla ice cream. There are vanilla mm-hmm. purists. I'm not one of them, but I don't begrudge those people who do. Mm-hmm. But there's also, there's whatever, chocolate and pistachio and unicorn ripple and sherbet and all these <laughs> other kind of wonderful things. And they rotate out all of the other flavors. So much of our culture caters us to this idea that the only thing worth pursuing is the making of the vanilla because that's the most popular. Right. Just pursue the thing that is the safest and the most popular. And again, there's, there's always a market for that, but there are, you know, turtle fudge ripple enthusiasts. It is a smaller market, but those people are hardcore mm-hmm. and they will support and spend money and applaud the turtle fudge ice cream makers of the world. Why would you compete about every other, you know, yeah. well, and- person pursuing vanilla? Just make your niche. And yeah, I that I mean I totally agree with that. I remember the first time I went to Tokyo, that that play. Have you been to Tokyo? No, I wish. It's what on my a list. wild, amazing place! Like if you're in the downtown core or any one of the downtown cores, there are these high rises that are I don't know how many stories tall, and because the everything is so dense, you might have the Baskin and Robbins on the eleventh floor, and oh, so wow. on the outside of the building there will be a neon sign that says Baskin and Robbins logo, and then eleven F. Yeah. And you know to oh. go, you know to go up to the eleventh floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But every time you go into one of those worlds, it's like an entire universe on that floor. Yeah. Eleven, yeah. eleven story. And there's yeah. the most, like, there's a guy who just makes hibiscus flower petal tea. And there's a, guy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's all he does. His it's family has done it for three hundred yeah. years. That's all they. Yeah. And there is something to be said for for doing that and not trying to be all things for all people because. You just can't. And why not just get great at the thing that, that you love and feel so inspired by? And in this day and age, when the internet provides this direct autobahn of information exchange between yourself, your friends, your family, your audience, your customers, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, why would you not want to just, just set up shop where you are, your, again, your happiest, truest, highest self, and then just... <laughs> Just Do let it. it shine. Well, Just how did it shine? How did that happen for you? So you 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 know, I listed all those things and I'm sure you did a million more things before. I have. 
I, <laughs> I've had, I like, don't doubt I, it. I, um, I have a very, uh, yeah, I never accomplished any sort of, um, great, uh, you know, accolade or achievement, uh, in any other career, but I've had a few, um, or at least jobs, maybe not career. Um, but to me, it's a, to make a long ish story short, the most succinct explanation I tend to give is that I, um, I went to art school, got the same message that everybody else got. You probably had some variation that, um, you can make art and, you know, some of the stuff I made was good. Some of it was not good, but the only people making a reliable living off of their art are pursuing through galleries, grants, and what I, what I would call is gatekeeper culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a sort of thing where you need somebody else doing the selling and the business, and then they take half the money, which in many cases they deserve. That did not seem like a good way to go to me. Um, so I ended up taking a lot of classes in graphic design and that was fine. And I thought I'd be a graphic designer. And I never was. I ended up getting all these other office jobs and stuff. But whatever job I had, um, you know, up until a few years ago, if there was one person on staff who knew how to use graphic design software, that made you a valuable person. That meant that you were saving the company thousands of dollars if you knew how to do graphic design. Because most, unless they're, you know, some enormous company, you don't have on staff people to do that. Um, so I was a graphic designer and then somewhere, probably right about 30, I kind of had a, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say a quarter life crisis, quarter, half midlife crisis. I don't know. I looked at the numbers, frankly, cause that's my other discipline is the, um, money, frankly, is I looked at the money and I said, all of this, I'm, I'm being underpaid. How am I going to do this? and ever make a salary that I could ever retire or ever not have to worry about a medical bill or a veterinary bill or whatever it is. It's like, I need to make more money. So I ended up just saying, I'm going to be a freelance graphic designer. And I thought that was a smart idea because I thought, well, I'll be in charge and I'll just work twice as much and make a bunch of money. And um, what people don't tell you is that when you're a graphic designer um, and you're a free agent, money comes in batches and there would be, everything was feast or famine. And there were a number of famine times that things were not good. And so I said, uh, what I'm going to do to offset the, 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 the low season is I'm going to become a, um, a commercial artist or commercial illustrator. I'm going to have a portfolio of um, work that people can use for licensing. So like on, again, I wasn't dreaming the dream of fine art. I was just thinking, well, you know, there's, I bought a roll of paper towels and it was sitting on the, on the kitchen counter and there was a, you know, pictures of flowers on it. I said, well, some, there's a Someone's doing that. <laughs> Someone is doing that and somebody's getting paid. Why shouldn't it be me? I love it. That's the one asset that I think I have probably more than most people I know is I ask the question, why shouldn't it be me? That's what do beautiful. they have that I don't? Yes. I don't know. I can draw flowers. I can paint flowers and I have, um, I have a scanner and a decent camera. I can, I can photograph and document things. And those are things that I couldn't have said 10 years earlier. Artists in this day and age, we have tools in the toolbox. Those things I can take on my smartphone now. Yeah. You can document things differently. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. So <laughs> good. I love it. Long story, long story short. Um, I was trying to get an agent for um, uh, some sort of commercial illustration, licensing, something or other. And um, somebody told me that agents love people that do botanicals mm -hmm. because you can always sell them. So I was painting every morning. I'd get up an hour early. Wasn't anything fancy, a little card table. And I would 
paint or do some variation of a botanical. Sometimes there are flowers, sometimes there are vines, sometimes there's something. And I just, it was very restorative uh, doing it with a purpose in mind. I had never not painted even since art school, but I'd never really went anywhere. It just went in a pile under the bed. Um, and doing those botanicals was great. And I started sending them around to various agents and agencies. Not one of them uh, had any interest in me, never went anywhere. It was a total bust. Wasn't feeling so good. And then um, uh, it was about October of 2015. I had one of those, again, it went from feast to famine and um, a retainer relationship suddenly got yanked. Um, one of my very good clients essentially declared bankruptcy. And so I wasn't going to get paid for like six months of work. Somebody else consolidated with another. It just, it went from being like mm. everything I thought was reliable was mm -hmm. not there. And I had rent to pay and I had uh, bills and was looking at what was going on. And all I saw was this giant stack of artwork, a bunch of flowers. And I know I had been sharing them on Instagram and stuff. And people had said, oh, that's good. That's good. You should sell these. And I was like, oh, no, I can't sell these. Somebody's going to license these. These are going to end up on paper towels. I'm going to make $37 every <laughs> month off of my flower paper towel money. Um, anyway, so I listed them. I, I got on Etsy and um, I listed them. And I told everybody, you know, this is a date two weeks from now. I had the discipline. I knew that I needed to have some momentum to build up. I didn't want pity sales. I said, I going to happen. This is the date. Everybody come. And I did the same thing that I do now. I, I sent an email, said everybody, you know, this is it. Come if you want. And um, they didn't sell out, but most of them sold. It was not a smash success, but most of them sold. And then it was enough um, to, to financially, you know, set me up for a month or two, which is enough to get the heat off and get other things mm -hmm. going. And I had a conversation that night and I essentially said, this isn't the most amount of money I've ever made, but this is the best money I've ever made. So was that the moment? Was that was that the moment where, because that was one of the questions I had for you was kind of like, when did you know that you had to let this kind of art and this way of being with your art sort of take over and be in the that was probably That was probably it. I'm very, um, I'll say superstitious about um, again, I, my own past and money trauma and things like that. It, that's heavy. But <laughs> I, I, there's money that comes in and doesn't feel so good. This money came in and it felt very good. And I, I said, that's, um, that felt like a lighthouse moment. It's like, I don't know where that light is coming from, but I think it's telling me something. How did I, you, I need to pay attention. How did you feel that? What did it, what did the good, what does good money feel like in your body? What a good question. I don't know. Um, that's a very good question, but I, it, it, it's a very personal, it's a meridian line. There is, it, is like a yes, no kind of almost. It's a, it's a yes, no. It's also, it's a um, knowing that I want it to happen again. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's a big part of it. <laughs> I've sold paintings to people when I was selling more in person at um, my studio gallery. I've sold paintings to people and I've said, okay, I'm, I'm going to cash this check, but I hope there isn't a check number two. Right. Like you just, you know. Yeah. It's just a gut, it's a gut feeling. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, that's a, it, it part of the world that we live in and, and, and the core of capitalism is yeah. if somebody wants to pay you for something, you know, you show the respectful exchange and you take it. Uh, but you don't have to repeat it and you don't have to pursue it. Yeah. Having um, the wherewithal to recognize, you know, when, when uh, again, you're 
your creator uh, or the universe or whatever sends you a sign that this <laughs> this door is open. Um, this door is opening. You know, don't ask it to knock twice. That's important. This episode of Creative Genius is brought to you by Morning Moon Nature Jewelry. Instantly familiar, yet unlike anything you've ever owned, this extraordinary handcrafted heirloom jewelry is famous for its incredible detail of actual textures from nature. Get 15% off your first order and feel the wonder. Use coupon code CREATIVEGENIUS at lovemorningmoon.com. This is something else I wanted to bring up with you. I, I a couple months ago, made a very large piece that my children were involved in, and it's been such a tremendously tumultuous year for us. And that, yeah. they they wrote poetry about flowers, original poems on the on the base of this canvas, and then we worked on the chaos layers together. And it was just they were really involved in this. And then um, a family member who is also to date my greatest collector. Uh, That's the, that always starts like that. <laughs> yeah. That's the best way to go. Um, well, I posted the picture of this, not saying it was for sale. Just, you know, I mean, I, I'll tell you a little bit more in a minute why I don't dance or why I haven't danced, but I was dancing while I painted this and I was listening to music and I was by myself and I was singing and, and there was just so much of me in this piece. And yeah. she emailed me the, that morning and said, well, how much? And it shook me. And I was like, I, I, uh, I want the money. I'm a newly single mom. I'm asking yeah. my art to support me. Yeah. Uh, but I really feel connected and attached to this painting. What do I do? Oh, I remember this. Yes. Yeah. You, <laughs> I you, do remember this. You actually hopped on. I think you just felt so strong. I did, I did a little video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you remember what you, I would love it if you could remember what you said. And I think I told you, yeah. Like, the, like you, you told the universe, you're making a brave move. Tell me what to do. And the universe literally yeah. So yeah. Don't ask it to knock twice. Don't ask it yeah. to knock twice. <laughs> and I, I feel like for for the for the person who's listening to this right now, who's saying, "Look, I've just finally let myself call myself an artist, but I feel yeah. really there's so much of me and my emotion in these pieces. I finally busted through all of this stuff after all these years, and these pieces are so important. How do I let them go? And I feel like that is a very important intersection in our trajectory as artists. Like we need yeah. to get through that intersection because if you start holding on to things at that point, oh boy, like what's going to come? Oh, like it can't keep yeah, coming no, to you're you. You're into like Mrs. Havisham territory. If you just start in, making stuff that's personal and then you start personalizing everything and you just end up with a house of ghosts yeah. of things that yeah. don't really need to be there. Yeah. And that's, it's um, art is such a um, it's a confusing thing because it is beautiful and it is decorative and it can serve a purpose. There are people who want art because they have a hole on the walls and mm -hmm. it makes them feel better to have it filled. Um, but I I don't know. There should be some guts of the artist in the work if you want to call it art. Okay, I agree. Yeah, you got to have some some um, of yourself invested, it should hurt a little. I don't like the word should, but this is one of the occasions that I really think it's well warranted. Um, it should hurt just a little to say goodbye. If you're not doing that, push for it in the next one. It's okay. Not everything needs to be, yeah. you know, your personal manifesto. Not everything needs to be the watershed moment from the before <laughs> and the after you, capital Y, you. But, uh, you got to have some of yourself in it. And uh, if you buy into the concept that, you know, you only want to make stuff that isn't personal, the season's going to be short. Mm -hmm. 
I don't mean a doomsday that, but I want to be honest with anybody who's pursuing this and, and just wants to make decorative work or just wants to make what will sell or just wants to make what's pretty and nice and joyful. There's a time and a place for that. And I don't poo-poo it, but the season is short. Do you feel like it's, I used to have a, I, my, my, most of my professional life as an artist has been as a jeweler. And I used to have a jewelry instructor in college who had these, I mean, she would make jewelry medallions for like Viking TV shows. And they were like, oh, these, wow. it would take her weeks and weeks to make like one shield. Oh, wow. And she was so talented. And she was this humble, very quiet French woman. And there's no way she could have made a living on these kinds of pieces because, you know, feast and famine, it's like, you know, yeah. movie industry, all that stuff. But so she had kind of like a commercial line of jewelry that did quite well too. And she, that was one of the things I felt that I learned from her, not just technically I learned a lot from her, but that was one of my most important lessons from her was like, what, can you create yourself a bread and butter line of things that you know people will buy and that there's a little bit of you in it and, and then have your sort of almost like two branches of your, of your work. And do you do that? Do you have like, or, or are they all? I could see it might look that way. Um, there are definitely works or collections I create in batches where the collection as a whole has some sort of driving force behind it. Maybe not every individual piece has required personal sort of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made a commitment a long time ago to, uh, uh, I say commitment that makes it sound very grandiose. Really, it's again, it was a business decision. I understand there's art that sells um, it, multi-thousands of dollars, very high end, usually in the gallery dynamic. Um, and then there's, you know, the opposite end where things are extremely affordable to the point that they're comparable to you know, a print that you would see in a big box store. Mm-hmm. There's, it appears to me, there's not a whole lot in the middle. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of people operated in the middle. And yet, if I look around at the people I know, at the homes that I visited, I know a lot of people who have, you know, disposable income. They want to live amongst art. They know the energy that comes from original art is different than the poster, the thing from the big box store. And yet, you know, they're not, they're not going to spend $10,000. Even if they have that kind of thing in the bank, uh, a painting is not where they're going to spend it. However, that's a, that's a whole giant, yeah. giant wide open window in the middle. Yeah. So if I show up every day, I treat my art as a job. And that's the thing people don't like hearing. I treat my art like a job. So it pays me like a job. I'm at work in some capacity, whether it's making the art or the back end of the business, it's a roughly nine to five undertaking. If I pursue that, I'm turning out a volume of work that I can keep my prices sort of low. Every day I have the ability to create and tap into myself where I'm pulling out, again, the kind of gutsy personal thing. So that's in there too. Um, and people get something that, you know, I have, I don't even know how many first time collectors purchased through me. And that sets them on a lifetime of, buying other people's stuff. So I, I feel good about that. They win. I win. Everybody wins. So I, <laughs> that's wonderful. That's, that's a great way it, of doing it. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, um, one of those things that I think, I don't know if you got it, but I, I always understood from art school was that there's fine art and then there's commercial art and these two things cannot intersect and that you, if you make things that aren't expensive, it's not real art or it's, you're selling yourself cheap or whatever it is. And that, 
Um, again, I think that's a gatekeeper mentality. It's a gatekeeper. I was just going to say gatekeeper. It's another gatekeeper moment. Yeah. And it's also, it's, um, it's really sort of a, a form of classicism, the concept that art only belongs to uber wealthy people. I mean, that's a really vile concept when you think about it. Because yeah. I, I think of art as something that, again, being in the presence of original art, whether it's a painting that hangs on your wall or it's public art or it's um, a public library that is designed in an, in an artful way, whatever it might be, those sorts of things, they change the rhythm of people's lives. They, they really do. do. And to say that that's only deserving of people who, who have a lot of money I don't buy that. I'm not okay with it. And I don't want to contribute to that. I never looked at it that way. I think that's amazing. We all, we're all part of it. Yeah. But but at the same time, I don't, I don't want to, um, there's this other concept of like, well, that's why art should be cheap and readily available. And it's like, no, I get, I, I know what my material's worth. I know what my time is worth. We, we figure out in a reasonable way. I make a very solid living selling original work. Um, I'm never going to make it in the 1% just doing that, but it's a good way to make a living. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And I don't see a whole lot of people in that space, which means it's extremely open to me, uh, which again, from a business perspective, supply and demand works in my favor. Yeah. So, I yeah. think, and I think that's something that probably a lot of the people listening to this right now are who are, who are wanting to start to get into that place of selling their work yeah. struggle with. Because I, and I know I did for a really long time. I underpriced my work, which yeah. has so many ripple effects to your fellow artists, to your yeah. own work, to the person Art. receiving it. Like I, I, if you know, whenever I, I was in a gallery on one of the little Gulf Islands I was in over the weekend, and I walked in, and this painting just stopped me, and I could not stop thinking about this painting. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I had a ridiculously magical moment. I, I found out who the artist was and everybody knows each other. There's about 400 people who live on this island. So like, oh, that's on. And she lives over there and you could talk. Her husband does the sculptures over by the... And so I emailed her that night and I just said, all I want to tell you is I, I saw this piece yesterday and there's, I don't even know why, but it just spoke to something so deep in me. And she wrote me back a one line email that said, are you still on the island? And I said, yes. And she said, can you meet me outside the gallery tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, but it's Sunday. It'll be closed. So I just, I went not knowing what, and we sat down and we had like an hour long conversation, but the very, oh, it's wonderful. the very first thing she said to me when we sat down was, I've decided to gift you this painting. <gasps> no, she just gave it to me and she had never met me and she, but she could feel, and we discussed this at length. She could feel that yeah. the thing that I felt and she could feel that I was feeling it and she felt it too. And she just said, that moved her and she knew she yeah. had to, she knew she had to. And to me, that is like, so now that's up on my wall. And it, it's the first thing I see when I come up the stairs oh. every morning. And it tells me that life has so much more to give you than you could ever think. It's not linear. Yeah. There that's are the absolute g- gifts are going to come to you without even you asking and in unexpected yeah. ways and to just expect magic. And that, yeah. that, that's what that means to me now. And anyway, that was just kind of a side note, but I, what I, a wonderful story. Oh, it was, and it's an important reminder because I think um, so often as artists, or at least painters in particular for you and I, you know, it could turn out a, a whatever a painting of a pear or a sailboat or whatever it is. And you could give, and it could mean really not much more to you than the the cost of the materials, but you could give it away and, and change somebody's life. Absolutely. You could give it away and, and that could become really sort of a, um, a talisman for, for all the years to come yep. for them. You could have a very powerful impact without a tremendous amount of effort or, or money. 
Like yeah. what, what an amazing use of talent and skill and what a compliment to you and to her. That's amazing. It was magic. I really did feel like I was in some kind of bubble of magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I did want to, I want to just cover with you um, because I really feel like this is something that almost everybody is struggling with and, and, and not, and we talked about it a little bit a minute ago, how not the conversation's not happening, but when I was little, when I was in, I think I was in grade one, I had a music teacher. Her name was Mrs. Holmes. And she made me stand in the back row of choir. I was already short. So that basically ensured that I was invisible. Yeah. And she asked me to mouth the words because she said, you know, you just don't have a very nice voice and we don't want you to mess up the music. And <sighs> that not only zipped me up uh, with my voice, but it also made me feel like I wasn't entitled to engage with music. And so I didn't dance. I didn't feel like I could dance. And I think somehow over the years, I just sort of like let that filter out to all my creativity. And that contributed shame. so it's much to the... Unacceptable. To, but, yeah. but I think I, from, the, from what I can see, and this is, the, this is the reason I'm doing the Creative Genius series of work, from what I can see, that kind of trauma, and it is trauma, oh, is, yeah. is happening all the time and has already happened in the past a whole bunch. And so, you know, for the person that's listening right now and is kind of like nodding their head and saying, yeah, I have never been able to reconcile this deep desire I have to create with these messages that I was inundated with as a child through all these different places that I'm just not good enough. What would you tell that person? Well, a couple of things. And the first thing I will articulate, um, some somebody who briefly studied to be an art teacher, which is odd that I now so much of my income comes from teaching art because that's not where I chose to actually pursue. But anybody who has studied you know, the pedagogical sciences, anybody who has pursued teaching at all will tell you, Miss Holmes, Mr. Jones, whoever it might have been, if you are listening and there was somebody who said something to you that haunts you to this day, no, that was not a teacher. No, that was not an informed adult. That was a human being who did something out of line, not only with their profession, but just with their person. That was a low point for them. Everybody has them. I have them all the time with my own kids. There are moments in parenting I really wish I could do over again. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling um, for you, Kate, if Miss Holmes was around and she knew that two grown women were talking about her, on a podcast, she would crawl in a hole. Mm -hmm. She would be so ashamed that something so flippant could be so hurtful and, and really kind of hateful might be the word I would use. And so impactful. Um, that wasn't a teacher saying those things. That was just a human being who temporarily lost their mind and, mm -hmm. and common sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, put it in perspective. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's compartmentalize that pain. Mm -hmm. uh, put, put it in perspective. The second thing I would tell you is that for me, this, is, this gives you some insight into my character. I love those opportunities because I am a vengeful creature. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm a, I like to think I'm a nice person, but in my truest form, there's a streak that loves a good vengeance story. Uh -huh. What greater revenge would there be than to show Ms. Holmes, not only can you sing, not only are you capable of learning to sing, because some people come to things more naturally than others. Mm -hmm. Let's face that. Mm -hmm. But something, but you 
despite the pain that somebody would inflict, has chosen to move beyond it, Mm -hmm. has chosen the greater outcome. I like that story. I like that story. Television loves that story. Movies love stories like that. Let let that spur you. Let Mm -hmm. that fuel the fire into something better. Um, Which is, it sounds a bit petty. I I admit that. I'd love to tell you that you know we just need to neutralize it. But if it whatever works, yeah. If it haunts you and it still it still itches in your brain, um, use it. I think it's a lot easier to use it than than to 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 pretend it never happened. Yeah, and I you know in the last couple of years have adopted this saying that I I tell myself when something kind of uncomfortable happens, I'll just say, oh well, this is happening for me, not yes. not to me. And I actually I'm familiar with that. Yeah, that shift is is really beautiful. Yeah. But did you did you ever have any big like? Did somebody ever say anything to you that 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 affected you that uh, way or? I was very, um, I was very fortunate. I never had a haunting moment where somebody said there was one particular thing in art that I was bad at. I was told more times than I could count, um, that I, I, I was never going to be an honor roll student. I was never going to be smart. I was always, you know, it's okay that you need the extra help. It's okay that you, because you're good at art. It's almost as though that was the, like, uh, the thing that, that I was praised for because they couldn't praise me for much else. I really was not a good student. Um, I still, as an adult, struggle to read sometimes. I still, basic math, there are times it just doesn't click in my head. Numbers have a very yeah. special place. And I, there's a lot of us out there. It's not unique. Sometimes people admit like they're dyslexic, like it's this enormous source of shame. It's like, do you know how many of us were just... We're not necessarily wired to um, do well on tests or, you know, Western public education system. We're just, that's okay. Yeah, there's so many. We're good at other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, no. Did I ever have anybody tell me I was not great at um, art and things? No. I did have a number of adults who were important people to me. People I I loved or continue to love who frankly were like, why are you going to this college and pursuing art, it's never going to pay. It's never going to turn into anything good. You know, if this is, why are you racking up debt? Just go get a job as a receptionist. Just go do this other mm-hmm. thing. This is not responsible to pursue this. And for a lot of years, I thought they were right. And now, again, I love a good vengeance story because I am, I am very, very happy that I never gave up. I'm very so- happy. Yeah, that's, I guess that's the thing is that it, it, cause that's one of the things that I think a lot of us struggle with is what are our, we, we create these limiting beliefs, you know, we pull yes. together all the information from the world that we, sure we, yeah. And then we make them into our beliefs and that becomes our worldview. And it becomes really hard to extract yourself from that, to see the world in a different way. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's, it's good to know that you had that, you had, you always had that drive or that that knowing about yourself, your confidence. It's like a deep confidence, I guess. It's a deep confidence, but it's also, um, I think I had the good fortune of having parents who really drilled into me from a young age that like, it's not okay to seek validation from somebody else. Your opinion of yourself is more valuable than anybody else's. Whatever authority figure, whatever teacher, whatever, even whatever parent, that's fine. Your opinion of your yourself comes first. Everything else is a distant second. If you don't have that right, Nothing else is going to make sense. I feel like that's so rare. And I guess I I, I do want to give some 
some help to people who didn't have the fortune of being raised that way. I think so many of us actually, and that's bizarre to me that they didn't, they didn't learn that there. I've, I've said that out loud to people who are, um, you know, baby boomer generation, they're, they're well into life and they're like, wait, what you know, what I think I know that wait, <laughs> like, it's like, beep, bop, boop, like the yeah. wiring of the robot, just like somebody clicked it, like, wait, <laughs> My opinion of myself matters more than the stranger on the street. My opinion of myself matters more than the teacher who was juggling 35 of us in a classroom and barely knew me. My opinion of myself matters more than the parent who never had the time to invest and because they were just trying to keep a roof over our head. And sometimes they were short with us. And like, your opinion of yourself matters first. If you, if you lock that in, you will have clarity on everything in your life, your relationships, your job, your career, your grocery list. It, I, it'll untangle a lot. I love that so much. And, it, <laughs> and I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have about 11,500 more questions for you, but I'm also aware of the time. And uh, I know, well, we want to be courteous of your listeners. Of the listeners too. So yeah, maybe sorry, we'll I have, rambled. I well, rambled. No, I'm so, I loved every minute of it. I, I, I would love to have you back on the show at some point. I'm sure we could talk forever. I'm here. But I have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's tying, tying into what you just said. But if you had a billboard, and everybody who comes to the show, at, I ask them this question. If you had a billboard that all of these sweet souls that we've been talking about who don't believe in themselves or feel like they're not good enough or don't know how to put themselves first, if they were all guaranteed to see this billboard and it was going to get their attention, what would you, what would you put on it? Oh, what a question. <laughs> I just I wish I had thought of this first. Uh, well, I guess it sounds cliche, but it's a thing that I always come back to. It's that um, I would say, quote, they call them growing pains for a reason. Mm -hmm. That's something that runs through my mind all the time, that they, uh, the concept that pain, whether it's personal or professional, whatever it is, um, those moments are really, they're not, they're not just pain, they're, they're growth. Mm. That's it. You, will, you cannot go through something difficult without coming out a slightly bigger, and I'd like to think a slightly better person. Mm -hmm. That's not always the case. I don't, I'm not that trite. I would not say that everybody experiences pain, comes through it, you know, yeah. fantastic. But it's a pretty, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty reliable formula. I, I guess, yeah, yeah. I, th I think so. It's a, um, embracing growth is a good thing. And that no, yeah, growth doesn't happen within your personal comfort zone. Mm -hmm. whole, mm -hmm. If you spend your whole life never exiting your comfort zone, you'll never grow. That's right. And growing people are happy people. That's right. Well, when I decided to do this podcast, actually, it, it, I felt something I hadn't felt in a very long time, which was I was nervous about it. <gasps> That's that, a good sign. It was wonderful. I, yeah. felt, I was just like saying, thank you, because yes. it me, I knew I was on to something. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it's, it's been absolutely amazing and wonderful to have you here. And I admire. The pleasure is mine, Kate. So thank much. you so much yeah. for having me. Thank you. This is wonderful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let me know when I can come back and we'll yak some more. That okay. sounds really good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, Kate. Well, thank you, Amanda. Amanda has given us some really wonderful things to think about in this episode, hasn't she? Why do we give our power to gatekeepers? And how about let's just stop doing that? If we are lucky enough to know what we love doing, and yet we're not doing it, that is a choice. Is it the best choice for your one wild and precious life? And what do we have to tell ourselves to allow ourselves not to follow our dreams anyway? 
Amanda was lucky enough to be raised by a family who deeply ingrained in her the idea that it was simply not okay to seek external validation for what your heart wants. From what to eat, to what to paint, to what to do with your life. And while many of us were not so fortunate to be raised that way, I love her reminder that we can lock this in now and enjoy a new kind of clarity, peace, and fulfillment in our lives. So I have a fun challenge for you. Forward this episode to the first friend that pops to mind right now. Don't overthink it. There's a reason you thought of them, and I'm willing to bet there's something they really need to hear in today's episode. See a picture of my favorite Amanda Evanston painting and find links to her websites, including information on how to join her incredible insider studio community in the show notes on katesheppardcreative.com slash creativegenius. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please consider joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash creativegeniuspodcast. Your support helps make it possible for me to continue bringing you these inspiring conversations with artists every other week. As a Patreon member, you'll have access to things like bonus content, live Ask Me Anything sessions, and even original art sent right to your door. We have an incredible lineup of guests coming up. You won't want to miss a single one. So before you forget, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And I would love it if you'd head over to iTunes to leave the show a review. I love your feedback. It helps me learn how to continue to evolve and improve the show for you. And did you know you can watch full video of most of our episodes? Head over to katesheppardcreative.com slash creativegenius for all the details. Thank you again for listening. May you find and unleash your creative genius.